Are you a whole capitalist? If you're the way I was up until very recently, the answer to that question is no. I've had to do some soul searching, and I encourage you to join me. This is the Dangerous Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Williams. What do I mean by whole capitalism? Before I get there to that definition, let me back up a little bit and talk about capitalism in general. I'm going to be fully honest. Of all the economic models that we've seen throughout history, you have feudalism, communism, socialism, capitalism, and other types. For a large, massive scale country, I think capitalism is the most fair. I think it's the most just economic system on the planet. I think it has done incredible good around the world. We'll get to some of the dark side of capitalism, but uh, let's talk about the good first. It has brought third world countries out from the dark ages. It has decreased global poverty at an incredible rate since the late 1700s, but especially recently. From 1990 to 2010, so a period of about 20 years, People who lived in extreme poverty, which is defined as, uh, I guess this is a little subjective, but those living on less than $1.90 a day, less than $2, fell from 1.85 billion people to 770 million people. That is, uh, that's a difference of around a billion people in 20 years, and capitalism has played a massive role in that. For the first time ever in history, at such a large scale, the little guy, the small person, has power and mobility. Your class or status is irrelevant. If you have the brains and the work ethic, You can now create a product or service that will elevate yourself and your fellow citizens. So there is now a pathway to personal success and also through uh, just uh, our collective ingenuity, you can help society as a whole. No other system has allowed for this freedom, this mobility, this movement. No other system gives the little guy a voice uh, in this way. And it's really incredible. Um, And so I have a a link to an article or two below in the description that y'all can read uh, certain things that where capitalism has done a lot of good. However... There is a dark side to capitalism. And I don't want to pretend that the way we do things, the way other uh, countries do things is always great. Sometimes there's exploitation that goes on that will blow your mind, that some terrible things go on that we don't hear about. Uh, One example I can think of is pollution with third world countries. You take a strong developed nation, they'll cut a deal with third world countries for uh, growth and production and development of certain things, factories and products and whatnot. But when it comes to pollution, when it comes to those who are in those third world countries that have to work in those environments for those factories and stuff, that uh, some of the pollution that goes on, some of the 
just the, the sicknesses and the overall health of the community. Whenever a first world country starts to get its hands around a third world country in terms of development, sure, it'll lift a lot of people up, but it will do a lot of harm as well. And so sometimes, I, I hate to put it this strongly, but in the, in the worst ways, it's like economic rape in a way. You get something out of it, but the cost is so terrible for those who uh, don't have as much power but are trying to develop themselves as well. And so there's that part, pollution and just uh, some factory work and uh, things like that, a harmful uh, Im- impact on the environment. There's also sometimes uh, when there's only one job in town, this company comes in and sets up a campus or a factory. And if you want to make money, you have to work for this employer. Uh, oftentimes, the conditions are terrible. There will be uh, barbed wire fences, armed guards, mandatory 12 to 16 hour days, uh, no vacation leave or very little, no health care. The living conditions are terrible. But again, if you want money, you have to go to the only employer in town or the only major employer. And so people in these third world countries oftentimes have no choice. And so uh, capitalism can then again in this way also take advantage of uh, those who are less fortunate and don't have any negotiating power on their end. Uh, for So those are a couple examples. For one of my seminary classes, I read William Cavanaugh's book, Being Consumed. It's a short little book, and it's really good. And it talked about some of these realities. I thought William was very even-handed. He didn't go in and say, capitalism's terrible or capitalism's the best. He said, this is a reality of what we're living in today. Um, how should we view certain things? He didn't seem like he had an axe to grind, and I appreciate that. So I recommend the book, Being Consumed. What I realized about the way we view capitalism today is that it stops short one party. When we talk about the free market, we always talk about two parties. You have employers and employees, for example. You have supply and demand. You have producers and consumers. So whenever we talk capitalism, we often only talk about two parties, wherever they might be. We care deeply about freedoms. And so when it comes to these two parties, if an employee does not like a company in a free market, this person can go get another job. If an employer does not like a certain employee for various reasons, that company can fire that worker and then go and hire another one. We love this, and I think it's a good thing. There's a lot of freedom there to to move and be mobile and to develop yourself and all, all those things. But we stop short when we only consider those two different groups. There are three parties involved, and we need all three to be free, to be what I call whole capitalists. Uh, This is where I get the concept of whole capitalism. And that's the term I coined just now, whole capitalism. How do you know if you are a whole capitalist? Well, let me tell you about the third party we often forget in economics. 
The third party we forget are the field and the sweatshop laborers of the raw goods, the logistic workers in the warehouse, etc. This third party is often filled with people who are overseas. They're filled with people who are involved in all the steps to get the goods to the stores. So we go to a store and we see a lot of the products there. We think, okay, the, the direct employees are involved, the employer, whether it's Walmart or Amazon's involved, and then we think of ourselves as consumers. And, and we think of those things, but we don't think about all the backline, the logistics, the other countries, the, the sweatshops and the field workers, all those people behind the scenes that made it all possible. If someone in a third world country has no choice but to work in a factory with armed guards, no vacation time, dangerous conditions, working six or seven days a week, that's not capitalism for that employee. That's not capitalism for that worker because that's the only employer in town. And to be honest, they're being treated like crap. They're being treated like cattle. Where is their freedom? Where is their choice? Where is their job market where they can go to the next party and, and try to do business with them? If this third party, let's call them laborers, cannot partake in a capitalistic free market where they can pick the best job for them, then that's not capitalism at all. We, the producers and the consumers in first world countries, are not whole capitalists because we don't care about everyone involved. We don't care about all the three parties. We only care about the two that we can see, namely the Walmart where we shop and the price tags which influence our own, pur our own purchases. Excuse me. I am begging for us to be whole capitalists. Let's care about the people we can't see on the other end. The laborers mass-producing t-shirts and picking tomatoes under horrifying conditions so that you and I can get things as cheap as possible and Amazon can make great money. Let's be whole capitalists. How do we do that? Well, we want to shop ethically. And then I'm also going to include this link down below. Um, it's from, uh, let me see, let me see, uh, Ethical Consumer. And it has an article titled How to Shop Ethically. And it gives a lot of good advice. So you want to be careful when it comes to the amount of stuff you buy. Do you really need 5 billion rolls of toilet paper? Um, do you really need to throw away that shirt or can you fix it up? Um, can you, uh, do you need to get something new? What about shopping pre-loved, pre-owned, whatever you want to, however you want to call it being, uh, you know, thrift store shopping, uh, you want to get involved with, uh, cooperatives or co-ops because oftentimes those businesses heavily, inv heavily involve their workers with the company to, and the workers have a lot of say in what goes on. You want to look for certifications from maybe the soil association the fair trade foundation the cruelty free international label uh, you know just look for certain labels that mean that the workers involved have been paid well and they're treated ethically 
and so anyways, you want to be careful with boycotts. I'm mixed on this one, but the, the website encourages boycotts because I know uh, no business is going to be perfect. No business, as much as we want to think of people as being evil, a business might not know everything that's going on realistically, even though they should. And so those are just examples of how to go about shopping ethically. But anyways, friends, that's all for this particular topic. Before we get to our devotional, I just wanted to say, are you a whole capitalist? I think, I think that's the way that we really should be. Anyway, I think it honors Christ, and I think it sets a good witness to those around us. Our devotional for today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. The words of John... My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Amen. And so, uh, as always, I have a couple things I'd like to point out, nice and simple, and uh, so let's, let's talk about it. The first thing I want to talk about is that we have hope because of Jesus. I read these words in, in 1 John, and I'm really convicted. And by 1 John standards, uh, without what I'm about to say next, I can honestly say I'm not a Christian. Because John outlines a standard that I can't keep. You know, you have to keep God's command in verse 6. You have to live as Jesus did. You have to love as Jesus did. You have to obey him. And I don't do that perfectly. Well, apart from Jesus, I wouldn't be a Christian. That standard is too high. However, going to the very first verse, um, but if anybody does sin, 
and this would be me, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the entire world. And so it's because of Jesus that I can meet the standard laid out in 1 John of being perfect and walking in the light and telling the truth and all those things. Well, not because I can, but it's Jesus inside of me. Jesus is the one we can have hope in because uh, he can do all the things. He can live the perfect life that we can't. And so because of that, we have hope. And there was also another part of this passage, moving on to point number two, that always confused me when I read it. You know, I'm writing to you, not a new command, but an old one. But then you get to the next verse. However, I'm writing to you a new command. It seems like within two verses, John uh, contradicts himself, but they're both true, but in different ways. In a way, the new command to to love each other, uh, it's not, you know, it's not new. We are supposed to live like God has outlined for us in the Mosaic law. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus summed up the law saying, you know, love God and love each other. So that's not new. It's been around for a while. Tell the truth, love each other, treat each other well, et cetera, et cetera. So John is right. However, when he says, I'm writing to you a new command, he's also right because what he means is we now have Jesus. The way this is embodied and live out, the example set before us is new. Um, it's truth is seen in him and in you because of Jesus, the light that he is to the world. Um, it's, it's a new command. It's vibrant. It's fresh. And we have someone that we can have our hope in. We can put our trust in Jesus. So it's, it's an old command and it's a new command through Jesus. But anyway, so then point number three, I like what John did poetically. He talks about dear children and fathers and young men, and he does this in a very pretty way. And basically, the overall point is he was reminding them of the message of the gospel, being forgiven, worshiping a God who is from the beginning. We have overcome the evil one. We are strong. And so in this way, addressing everyone, the young and the old, those who are children, those who are uh, parents. Um, John is outlining in a very artistic way the fact that, you know, we have the gospel and it's for everyone and we can be excited about it and we can go tell other people about it. Anyways, friends, that's uh, 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 14. That's all I have for today. I'm going to pray and then we'll sign off. Father, uh, we're thankful for this day. We are thankful for every breath. Lord, we're thankful for the book of 1 John. Lord, it encourages us, not because we could ever meet that standard, but your son Jesus Christ did. And we worship you today in spirit and in truth. Please bless my listeners as they go out this weekend and they spend time with family as they work, whatever they might be doing, Lord. Uh, Bless them and and keep them safe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that's all for today. I'm going to sign off. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.